0: Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Thank you for taking some time to join me today. I'm excited to have our guest on today, Will, who I connected with on Reddit. Now, Will posted about his journey and his multiple attempts at getting into medical school and his multiple rejections at getting into medical school, but finally was excited to post that he got in. And now with three acceptances, Will talks to me about his journey to medicine, why he thinks he wasn't successful to begin with, and what ultimately made him a successful applicant this time. Will, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much, glad to be here. When did you first realize you wanted to be a doctor?
1: So, um, I first realized uh, pretty early uh, in my college career, actually, which I know is a lot later than a lot of people. You know, there's some people who knew that they wanted to be doctors uh, by the time they were three. (laughs) Um, I wasn't one of those people, uh, but what I did know was that I wanted to do something with the study of biology. I've always loved biology um, study of, you know, plants, animals, people, all of it. Uh, so when I was, when I was in college, I started, um, <clears throat> I started exploring, you know, different ways to make that happen, uh, within my career. Um, and so, you know, I looked into, I looked into research options. I looked into the PhD route. Uh, and I also, I happened to be going to an undergrad that had a lot of pre-med students. Um, and so some of them encouraged me to, um, to, uh, do a little bit of shadowing and, um, just kind of look into the, the medical possibility, which wasn't really something I had considered before. Um, and by the time, uh, by the time I was finished with my first shadowing shift, I was hooked and I knew that's what I had to, that's what I had to do. What was it about the shadowing that had you hooked? There was, well, first of all, I was, I was, uh, shadowing this just amazing um, anesthesiologist uh, in my hometown, and he was just the way that he interacted with with patients. He had this this manner about him. He was actually very soft spoken, um, and just a just a generally very friendly guy, not arrogant at all. But the way that he spoke to his patients, um, you know, just radiated not not confidence, but competence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really enjoyed the way that he fostered that relationship. Um, and then in addition to that, I was just really lucky on that first shift and I saw some um, really amazing procedures as well. And that kind of dazzled me, so that helped as well.
0: What was it about biology that had you just like, I, I wanna do something around biology?
1: So I've always been the sort of thinker. Uh, so for instance, to 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 give you a little bit of context, um, my undergraduate degree was a double major in biology and music. Um, so, I've always kind of had this dual interest in you know the the technical, the objective, um, sciencey side of things. But then, at the same time, I've always really enjoyed um, you know art and creative writing, and kind of the less exact but more more subjective, these more subjective ways of reasoning and ways of creating. Um, and I've really found in biology the, the kind of melding of those two mm. in a lot of ways. You know, I've had, especially in some of my, my upper level biology classes in undergrad and uh, my studies since then, where you kind of see biology as, you know, still, still a hard science, but kind of the softest of the hard sciences is the way that I like to think about it.
0: <laughs> okay. Very interesting. What,
1: what instrument do you play in music? I uh, tuba was my main the instrument. Tuba, and then I, nice. I did a, a fair amount of uh, vocal work as well. Acapella groups, choir, yeah. all that jazz.
0: So after your ear shadowing and you're like, okay, this is kind of cool. This is what I want. Was there any sort of hesitation to go, well, I'm already this far into my college career. It's going to take too long or my grades aren't good enough at this point or like, I just don't know what to do. And so I should just do something different.
1: Well, you know, I got to be honest with you. Um, during my undergraduate career, that really wasn't the case. Um, because I was already on a, a bachelor's of science track for my biology degree, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't actually end up needing to add um, classes until later in my um, until later in my in my college career. After I had already made the decision to switch to pre med, um, and uh, even though I did go and I spoke to the uh, the my undergraduate pre-med advisor and had people look at my applications. Um, I, honestly, I really didn't understand that my, my GPA wasn't quite up to snuff until I, uh, until I applied and I didn't get in. And then that's when I started to realize, oh, maybe I had uh, messed up a little bit with my grades.
0: How did those conversations go with the advisor to begin with?
1: Well, um, So the advisor, the advisor that I that I spoke with in undergraduate, what was I think from what I've seen online is actually fairly typical. um, Was an older retired doctor who um, you know he really knew the medical field really well, and I I honestly do believe that he um, he believed or he not that he believed, but he knew what would make a good doctor as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of some of the finer realities of of what is now I think a pretty rapidly changing and, um, more competitive field for applying to MD and DO programs. Um, he just, I don't think that he was quite as familiar with the, with the up-to-date, um, uh, requirements yeah. that a successful applicant needs. Um, so honestly I, what really happened, uh, was I, I spoke to him about, uh, at, at the end of my first cycle at the end, um, uh, and that first failed cycle, uh, in which I didn't get a single interview. And he, what he said to me was essentially, I don't know why you didn't get in just apply again, you know, do the exact <laughs> same thing again. Um, which
0: uh, Einstein's uh, definition of insanity.
1: Exactly. You know, looking <laughs> back, I can pretty clearly see that, but, yeah. um, but, uh, you know, I, while well, I followed his advice and <laughs> the same same thing happened the second time around as well, so mm-hmm. um, it wasn't really until the end of that second application cycle that I started having those hard conversations um, i I reached out to a few not associated with my own undergraduate uh university, but I did reach out to a uh the father of a childhood friend who happened to be a professor at a local university close to my hometown mm-hmm. um and he was he is a he's mentors many many uh, pre med students at his own university uh, and was graciously willing to to uh, take on my case as well mm-hmm. um, and he was the one who first started to say well um, you know I had to to tell me that I had some pretty significant hurdles that I had to overcome and I had some gaps that I needed to fill if I actually wanted to see any success
0: yeah. Uh so let's, let's they, talk about those. What what did, sure. what do you think was the biggest thing that led to obviously applying and not getting any interviews is a, a huge blow. So what mm-hmm. what do you think was the biggest thing that kept you from from getting any interviews at that point?
1: Well, I think that um I think that the big thing, I can't point to it. the the weakest part of my applications of my application even now is likely um is my GPA my my science GPA is just under a three four, and my mm. my uh, cumulative GPA is just under a three six. Okay. Um. But uh, as I as this advisor has told me, and is clearly true, that in and of itself isn't necessarily lethal. Nope. Um. To to an application, uh, my my issue the first couple of times around was just I had that and then I didn't really have anything anything real interesting about me is I was kind of the typical pre med except that my GPA was a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. Um so really I think, you know, just any I I lacked any what you might call like a wow factor or an X factor, or anything interesting.
0: Okay. So from your first application to your, your third kind of, uh, jumping to the end, uh, that you, you finally got an acceptance. Did you not take any more classes to improve your GPA at all?
1: So I did, um, I ended up, so the first thing I did after graduating, um, was do a year in AmeriCorps. And when you finish Mm -hmm. a year, when you finish AmeriCorps, you get a, uh, small education stipend. Mm. The main thing that was preventing me from taking a whole bunch of classes to improve my GPA was financials. And I'm sure that that's something that resonates with a lot of your listeners. Yeah. Um, but I did use that, uh, education stipend, um, to take, to take one class. And it was only one class that I could afford to take at a local state university. Um, and, uh, I did that. Um I you know, I had I had multiple reasons for deciding to do that. Um one was to, you know, marginally bump up my GPA, but also just to make sure that I still knew how to, you know, study and take tests and yeah. be in class.
0: Yeah. Definitely. It's important. Prove mm-hmm. prove to medical schools that you still like being a student. Yeah, exactly. So talk about this X factor, uh, because it's it's interesting. So it's it's something that um that I typically, that, that sort of language typically try to shy away from, right? Even I was at a conference this weekend. I'm like, short of curing cancer, there's nothing that's going to be on your application. that's going to stand out so much that they're like, wow, look at that. So what, what do you think between your first application to last was really the X factor for you?
1: Well, it's, um, to me, I, I think that I'm, uh, I think that, Sure. I, I, I do understand what you're, where you're coming from, but I think that in my experiences, um, what I, what I did after college was a, I did a year in AmeriCorps, uh, and then I did two years and I'm currently completing my third year, uh, in the Peace Corps as well. Wow. And so, um, even though I don't, you know, that's, that's obviously not curing cancer or anything like that. Um, it is, I think, unusual. Uh, so I do think that those experiences and also the ability to to reflect on those experiences and talk about them, yeah. um, at least gave me uh, something that made me stand out a little bit in comparison to um, to maybe other, other applicants who are applying and maybe who are applying with higher stats than my own.
0: Mm. what in terms of what you're doing? For someone who doesn't know Americorps, doesn't know um, the Peace Corps, what what are you doing day in and day out as, as part of your duties there?
1: Um, well, they're they're two very different organizations. Um, in the Peace Corps, and I'm sorry, in Americorps, um, most of what Americorps is is essentially you're working for a nonprofit, and um, but you're being paid through this organization. So you are a free volunteer through. Um, you are a free volunteer for your nonprofit um, but you are a but you're paid through the u s government through this AmeriCorps program. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a well-known program, but it's it's quite varied. Uh, the Peace Corps is even, <laughs> I think that the name tends to kind of mix people up a little bit because they sound very similar, but they're really not. Mm-hmm. Um, the Peace Corps is the the general idea uh, is that they take uh, individuals uh american individuals with um with either five years professional experience or an undergraduate degree uh and they uh train them for three months in language and culture and all this stuff in uh in a country the peace corps operates in over 100 countries um uh around the world but in one of those countries you go you train for three months and then you go and um you you enter into a community and for two years um you live and work in that community as similarly as um as the host country nationals mm-hmm. uh live and work. So you're so uh for me, I my neighbors uh were sustenance farmers and they lived in um basically concrete boxes. So that's basically why what, what I did as well. Um now as an extendee, my situation is a little bit different. Um, I'm working as a, um, I'm working with an NGO. And so I live a little bit more like an expat, a little bit less like, uh, like a local. Um, but there's still a significant amount of, uh, cultural understanding, cultural competence, uh, that I need to, um, that I need to exhibit on a day-to-day basis to be successful in my position.
0: So a lot of students listening to this may go, well, okay, so you did AmeriCorps, you did Peace Corps, that has nothing to do with medicine. How, how does that help an application?
1: Well, I would disagree. Um, well, I, of course I wasn't, neither, neither of these things included any clinical experience. And so on that level, yes, it has nothing to do with medicine. Um, but I think that a lot of things, and from a lot of the literature that I've seen, a lot of the, uh, um, the people at medical schools that I've spoken to, I think that they think a lot, medicine is a lot more um, than just um, being able to practice and knowing the science. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also the ability, you know, it's it's the Im- impact that a care provider may have on their community. Uh, it's the ability to uh, connect with people, connect with patients, and um, maybe, you know, reach out to underserved populations. Um, around the institution for, uh, for which you're working. Um, and the skills, you know, a lot of the soft skills, a lot of the community outreach skills that I, um, learned that I've learned and sharpened during those experiences, um, I think are likely to, to, to translate over, Mm. um, to translate over into a successful field in medicine. Is it going to necessarily, am I, am I going to be able to, uh, Do better on on the step one or step two exams because I was in AmeriCorps or Peace Corps? Probably not, but um, I do believe that those experiences and those um, opportunities for personal growth are um, something that I I hope to put to good use uh, when practicing and interacting in communities.
0: Yeah, a thousand percent, that'll help. Were you getting any sort of clinical experience or any sort of shadowing during that time?
1: Um, So during the time... Uh, during the period, no. Uh, but I did have a, a a sort of a gap between uh, finishing AmeriCorps and starting Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that gap, I was certified as a I got my uh, CNA license, yeah. and I worked um, in a in a skilled nursing facility as a CNA nice. um, for about four months. So that's where I got my clinical experience.
0: Okay, good. That's awesome. So between the first application, you you obviously had to take the MCAT for that application to the third application. I'm assuming your MCAT expired. What was that like to know that you had to undertake that again?
1: It did. Um, I mean, it wasn't, wasn't my favorite thing in the world, but I knew that it was something that I would have to do. And um, honestly, in comparison to everything else uh, that I've been through, the MCAT didn't seem like as big of a deal. Uh I did study for and I did study for the MCAT um while in the while in the Peace Corps, while in the village. Uh so I wasn't able to utilize, well, I didn't have electricity or running water. Um <laughs> so I wasn't able to use as many online tests or I wish I could have used Anki, but I didn't. Yeah. Um what I did have was uh quite a bit of time or a very flexible schedule. Uh, so I did um and a big, and you know, the Princeton Review study book, you know, just the the typical uh, MCAT study book that I think a lot of people use. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I uh, I studied and I did, you know, I did the best that I could, um, and I did end up actually having to fly uh, out of the country into another country to be able to take it wow. as well. So that added a little. They they canceled my flight actually, so <laughs> I had to take a second flight. Um, but it all worked out, and I ended up with um, with a score that was actually very close to uh, my initial score, the, the score that I took, um, that I got when I took the first time. Of course, I took the first test on the old, the 45 scale. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So, so your score right. went up a bunch. <laughs> it did, yeah, it did, right? Um, percentile-wise, it stayed about the same, and yeah. I was happy with that. Yeah. Um,
0: but having having been out of out of that classwork for a while and studying in that environment, that's that's pretty great. And your your MCAT you don't think was was a barrier to entry in the uh the initial applications?
1: I don't think so. Well, I mean I'm I'm happy to tell you my my first MCAT was a thirty two.
0: Okay. Um, great score. So f- so for someone listening, a thirty two is roughly what, like a five fifteen ish now.
1: Ah uh, no, it's it's more like a five eleven, five twelve. From what okay. I've seen, it okay. was eighty ninth percentile. Oh, maybe not. Maybe higher. I, you know better than I do. Yeah. I guess. Okay. Um, it, and then my my score this past time around was a five ten. Okay. Um, so you yeah. know, not not quite as high, um, but um, still kind of in the same general ballpark.
0: Yeah, that's great especially again, given that gap and giving, given that, uh, study. Uh, so I just, I just Googled it real quick while we're chatting. So 513 ish, um, okay. for a 32. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. So definitely the the MCAT not holding you back. So GPA potentially, and, and you mentioned the way that you talked about your CNA, uh, license and working in that sniff, um, mm-hmm that 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 was your clinical experience. Do you think you were lacking clinical experience in those initial applications as well?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um I had uh, for those for those first two application cycles, I did have um so I was a health officer at a camp, okay um, during that period of time. Uh, and I was under the impression, uh, and I had also been told this by by that initial pre-med advisor as well that that would count. As clinical experience, mm-hmm. um, having looked at some other sources, it's pretty clear that 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 did not count as clinical experience. So, aside from shadowing, I really didn't have anything going for me in that department. Yeah.
0: Um, what were you doing as a, a health officer? What did that look yeah, like? Yeah.
1: So i i worked at um I worked at a summer camp. Uh, for, uh, kind of children from low income families, um, Mm -hmm. uh, close to my hometown as well. Uh, it was actually an experience very near and dear to my heart. I really, really enjoyed it. I made a lot of really good friends. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, for two years, I was essentially what you might consider to be a more typical, um, like summer camp nurse. Uh, I was in charge of um, uh, making sure that the g- the kids got their medications, and mm-hmm. the m- well during meals whenever they um, they needed to get them. Um, I was in charge with a very very basic first aid. Yeah. Uh, but I wasn't working any under any actual healthcare professional or anything like that. And I was not in what you would call a traditional clinical setting. So that's why it's, it was a great experience, but it it really wasn't a clinical experience.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. I would, I would definitely call that clinical experience uh, and and put it, I I would have a student listed as clinical experience, but it's something definitely that a a school's going to want to see something a little bit more traditional as well, just to make Mm -hmm. sure that you have that understanding and exposure as well.
1: So, yeah, absolutely. So it, yeah. it it became a lot stronger once I had the CNA experience to definitely. supplement it. Yeah, I think
0: definitely, awesome. Was there anything once you started working as a CNA, right? You have that experience. You're like, wow, like this is real clinical experience, right? Yeah, I've mm-hmm. I've shadowed and I've done the the health officer thing, but being on this other side, right, working as a CNA, were you exposed to anything that kind of opened your eyes a little bit more?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny in, in more than one of my interviews, um, I've had people say, wow, that's a CNA. Wow. That's a really hard job. I can't imagine the people that do that. I really didn't have that experience. I loved being a CNA. Mm -hmm. Um, and the reason I liked it so much uh, was, well, first of all, it was able to form um, these really close relationships with my residents. Um, this was a the the facility I was working in was a nursing home. Uh, I was working with mostly late stage dementia and Alzheimer's uh, residents, and um, and there were absolutely um, there. I mean. Uh, uncomfortable situations situation, uh, you know, unpleasant situations with competitive residents, um, and things like that. But those, those were so much overshadowed by the, by, um, just getting to know, uh, getting to know the residents, uh, doing what I, what I was able to do to make them feel safe and make them feel at home. Uh, and then also working with a staff, um, the, the team that I worked with, the the nurses and the other uh, aides that I was working with, were just so compassionate and caring. And that's, um, you know, just being able to work, having that work environment where you're surrounded by all of these people who really genuinely just want the best possible for the people that they're caring for. It was just such a, I mean, it was, it was an eye-opening experience, but just really in only the most positive ways. Yeah,
0: good. So why you you apply once, no interviews. Mm-hmm. You apply again, no interviews. Why keep going?
1: Um it's what I knew I had to do. Um I uh so I applied after the second time, I have to say it was uh the the tail end of my second application cycle, you know, getting into February, March where it was clear that I wasn't going to see too much success. Um, It was very difficult. And there were times that I absolutely wanted to give up. Um, But, uh, you know, looking forward, I just couldn't see myself. I really honestly couldn't see myself doing anything else. I think that there are a couple of factors that really helped me keep going. Uh, First and foremost was finding a couple of really, really good advisors. Um, I think that that was the most important thing uh, because they were able to look objectively at my application and say, Um, all right, this is, you know, this is where you went wrong. This is, this is what needs to be fixed. Uh, but at the same time, them being, hearing them say, no, this is still possible. You can do this. Um, you just have to follow these steps and I followed them and I've, I've seen success. Um, additionally, I actually, uh, from the same, uh, Reddit post that first got us connected, I had somebody email me, uh, in a very similar situation, um, Saying, you know, they're on their second application cycle. They haven't seen any success, and they're really starting to feel, um, to feel, uh, you know, hopeless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and my response to them was, in addition to you know finding good advisors, um, you know, focusing on uh, next steps, uh, was to find something just in the day to day, something that you can legitimately look forward to doing. In and of itself, um, for me, that was uh, you know applying to the Peace Corps, um, you know getting in, you know doing all this preparation, preparation, and looking forward to to this adventure that I knew I would be going on. Um, but you know, and that, admittedly, I, I I did know that the Peace Corps would would help my application process along, uh, but I think I also did it just because it was something that I really wanted to do, and I knew that it was something that I would enjoy. Yeah. Um. So that's yeah. That's that's something that's really helped me. That really has helped me keep going and uh, through what's been, um, a very very long process for me.
0: I think a, a lot of students they they start to get to that point where they're trying everything they can do to improve their application and and trying to figure out how to. Not game the system, but those words come to mind, right? How to how to figure out how to check just the right boxes to to get into medical school, and and you lose that passion, you lose that drive because you're like, I'm just doing all this stuff because I I think I have to do it, and so you're lucky that you found this thing that kind of uh, added to your application, but also was something you were passionate about doing. So that's great.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really was. Um, and I also think that you know these are. These boxes are there to be checked um, not just for the sake of them being checked you know they're uh, from the from admissions perspectives these are um, these should be formative and growing experiences, and so um, you know clinical experiences, volunteering experiences um, these things I think that they really should be um, i mean of course they can be hard, but I think that they should be fulfilling and hopefully they're, they should be the sort of thing that, um, that applicants can like myself can learn to enjoy and, you know, just on their own merit.
0: Yeah. What was it like to get that first interview invite?
1: It was, um, you know, I had to pull over. Uh, I was, <laughs> uh, I was driving, I was actually driving in my, my grandpa's truck that just passed, he just passed away earlier this winter. Oh, sorry. Um, Thank you. And uh, so I was driving along in his truck and I really felt his spirit as I got that call um, from an unknown number. And so I pulled over and um, uh, I was just just barely able to make it to the end of the call before I burst into tears. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah,
0: I, I think I think a lot of ad comms understand, like, it's OK if the student bursts into tears right now. This is something that especially <laughs> for you, you've been waiting a long time for. Mm-hmm. so that that was just for the interview invite that wasn't even for the acceptance no that no that was for the acceptance. that was the acceptance okay yeah yeah what uh what was the interview day like for you
1: um well i've had i've actually um i've actually had a number of i've had i've had three acceptances at this point amazing um so i think that you know they were all very different actually um because one was uh all mmi one was all, um, traditional interview. And then one was half and half. Um, I, but I think that for all of these interview, the, um, the interview days that I've been on so far, um, really at that point, uh, they weren't really stressful for me. Um, and I was a little bit surprised by that. Uh, I, you know, I expected to feel like this, it was this high pressure situation. um, but at that point, uh, by the, by the time that I was really stepping into the medical school and, um, you know, I had my suit on and I had already done my research on the school and knew my own application. Um, I was just ready to show them, you know, what I had been doing over the, over the past three years and, um, to be comfortable with that and proud of that. And, uh, and really, really Every one of, especially my traditional interviews have all just felt like conversations, you know, That's, Um, that's all they want. Yes, exactly. I think that that's, that's all they want. Um, and even, I mean, even my conversations with my fellow interviewees have been just, you know, friendly and getting to know each other. And I, I haven't felt, um, I haven't really felt a cutthroat, uh, feeling or environment from hardly anybody. Um, it's been just entirely thinking. Hey, you could be my classmate next year. Uh, it's good to meet you, and it's good to get to know you.
0: Yeah, great attitude for that. So, will three application cycles, two MCATs, MCATs. I hate the plural form <laughs> of that. Uh, two MCAT tests, uh, a a a trip with the Peace Corps, a stint with Americorps. Looking back on your journey. Are you glad it's gone this way are you are you upset or mad or disappointed that you you're not uh, in third or fourth year of medical school now what is what are those emotions like
1: Well you know I actually do have um I have friends who have already graduated from medical school and they graduated the same year as I did in um in undergrad uh, and there were there were certainly times during the first couple of years after I graduated where I was frustrated and I wish I was really i was already in Um, but at this point, what, you know, what, what failing to get into medical school has allowed me to do is, um, you know, live in different cities. It's allowed me to travel. It's allowed me to, to learn a new language and get to know a new culture. Um, and it's also really, um, you know, after, after this experience, I have found a new passion and realized that I really want to work in global health as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think that it's, um, I don't, Know that I would have had the same passion had I gotten into uh, medical school right off the bat. Um, so i th- I think that i'm I'm happy that it did end up this way and in all honesty, um because I think that the time that I've spent uh, between graduation and uh, the start of medical school um, will continue to profoundly impact uh, the path of my career um, past uh, you know past twenty twenty four when i'm projected to graduate and, um, you know, past residency and all of that as well.
0: For the student listening to this, who maybe is coming off of their first cycle and, and didn't get any interviews or any acceptances or second cycle and they're, they're doubting their journey. What words of wisdom do you have for them?
1: Um, you know, first of all, um, I'm sorry. I've, you know, I've been in that situation before and it's, um, it is rough. It's tough. Um, but if this is something that, you know, that you're meant to do and that you want to do, and, um, you're certain that you're in it for all the right reasons, You know, it's really just time to refocus yourself. Don't lose focus and make sure that you choose a path forward, which is going to let you both improve your application and grow as a person. Choose something that you think you're going to enjoy.
0: All right. There you have it. An amazing story of resilience and determination and hard work and just going out and living his life, even with the frustration of not getting into medical school, twice, and finally being accepted that third time. I know when I wasn't accepted that first time, it's a blow. It's like, wow, I guess I can't be a doctor, right? And when you are going through this process, pouring your heart and soul into these applications, you you have this sensation of this is this is my identity. Getting into medical school is my identity. This is what I have to do. And not getting that love in return from the medical schools, it's like, oh, Maybe, maybe I need to do something else and then doing it again and not getting that love back. That's hard. And obviously this is what he is meant to do, right? He said, I couldn't see myself doing anything else, right? And that's a, a super cliche answer all by itself, but with his story, that's powerful. That is what it is. So I hope you took something from this episode, some motivation, some encouragement, to know that if you apply, if you don't get any interviews, if you don't get any any acceptances, there are still things that you can do on this journey to continue down this path to becoming a physician, to make yourself a better applicant, to make yourself a better person. And you apply again, you reflect on your journey, and hopefully one of those schools will want you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have a story that you think would be great here on the podcast, just shoot me an email, Ryan, at medicalschoolhq.net. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is Med-Ed Media.